Koto, welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Wallace Chapman with you, Heather Roy and Gary Moore with me today. First up, though, a massive clean-up is underway in Papatoetoe after a tornado tore through the South Auckland suburb, killing one man and leaving a trail of destruction. Mechanic Janesh Prasad was working at the Ports of Auckland freight hub on Woody Station Road when the tornado swept him up and he struck a container. He leaves a wife and two children aged 13 and 10. A friend, Reg Prasad, described him as a much-loved man and says his family in New Zealand and his parents in Fiji are shattered. Um, he's got two beautiful kids, um, young kids growing up. Um, yeah, you know, what else can we say about him? He's just um, one of these people who would absolutely want um, to help out other people in this world. And... Um, He's a wonderful husband to, to Mala. Yeah, so at the moment, all shattered at the moment. The Auckland Mayor Phil Goss says more people would likely have been killed if the tornado had struck at a busier time. And Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has just acknowledged uh, that everyone impacted, sorry, everyone impacted by the violent weather over the weekend. Uh, but to tell us more about the destructive nature of tornadoes, I am joined by Niwa's principal forecaster, Chris Brandolino. Kia ora, Chris. Jonah. The first thing is just this power. I mean, looking at some of the damage, the roof smashed, 30-ton containers tossed aside. What causes the power of a, of a volcano like this? So with tornadoes, um, basically, you know, put simply, tornado is just a, a column of air, a rotating column of air that touches the ground and is connected to the cloud. Um, oftentimes, that's a cumulonimbus cloud, the thunderstorm. Oddly enough, there was very little lightning with this particular, um, we'll call it tornado. I don't want to call it a thunderstorm because mm. if there wasn't any lightning, there wasn't any thunder. Um, and it's, you know, oftentimes you hear these very simple explanations. Um, and I, I know I've done this too, where all oh, cold air and warm air meet. And it, it's way more than that. That's oversimplifying it. Um, you, you need a lot of lift in the atmosphere in order to get a cloud, in order to get rain, in order to get snow, in order to get a, a thunderstorm. Air first must rise, and there's various ways you can do that. Um, the, I guess one of the easiest ways is to think of having warmer air near the ground where we are and colder air above, say, where planes fly. And that creates a profile, kind of like releasing the cork at the bottom of a pool, it's going to want to rise, and sometimes violently. And when you get these um, air parcels rising very quickly, um, it's called an updraft. And when air comes down with rain, hail, it's called a downdraft. And sometimes you get these kind of coexisting near one another, and if the air is spinning, what we call shear, that can lead to a tornado. I've just simplified tornado, the, mm. the dissecting a tornado in 30 seconds. But there's more to it, but that's a very quick explanation. Yeah. Can they be predicted? Well, well, I was anticipating this question, and so I'm going to answer that question with another question, kind of a no-no, I suppose. Mm. What, what do you mean predicted? Do you mean like in the sense of like when we say tomorrow it's going to be sunny with a high of 25 and showers by sunset? More or, like more like this afternoon we can expect a tornado weather. That's not, no, no. You, yeah. So what would happen... Uh, so I'll take it behind the curtain in terms of severe weather forecasting. So what you often do is you identify a region where thunderstorms or active weather is likely to occur. And, and, you, and you do that by identifying the conditions which lead 
to thunderstorms or, in this case, tornadoes. And you can do that a couple days ahead of time, the morning of, the afternoon of, etc. And then when it becomes showtime, you're looking at observations. Oftentimes it's radar, and it's Doppler radar. So Doppler radar is a type of radar based on the Doppler effect. If you don't know what a Doppler effect is, next time uh, the arm or a boom gate comes down at a train crossing, you hear the horn, and it's a high-pitched sound. Then as the train gets closer and closer, the pitch gets higher and higher. Then the train goes away from you, and that pitch gets lower again. That's the Doppler effect. So with radar, Doppler radar, they can see inside the cloud and understand how the air is moving. For example, if the air is moving toward or away from you, and that can tell you if there's rotation or air spinning. And that's how it works in Canada or in the U.S. Right. Tornado warnings, say the the local weather service offices. Oh, I see. Now, well explained, uh, um, uh, Chris, there. Now, we have a panel with us as well, Chris. Um, uh, uh, Gary, I mean, your region has seen significant weather issues as well, hasn't it? No tornadoes, but uh, certainly um, very distressing. Oh, this is terrible. And um, I, I was sitting here wondering, you keep hearing uh, this is a one-in-100-year event, and I'm thinking, how many one-in-100-year events will I experience in my lifetime? Mm-hmm. Chris? So a couple po- uh, yeah, a couple points on that. So um, we don't know this is a one-in-100-year event. I'm not sure um, where that came from. I can tell you that... Um, tornadoes, on average, we get 7 to 10 uh, per year across all of Aotearoa, New Zealand. Those are moderate to strong tornadoes. Okay. In the Auckland region, we average about one a year, a little less than one. But there's a lot of variability in that. So an average means you could maybe overperform in one year and then underperform in another year, but you're smoothing things out. Going back to your one in 100 year, oftentimes that's used with rainfall or mm-hmm. et cetera. All that means is that it's a 1% chance of X occurring in any given year. You can, you know, the lottery, for example, it could be a one in 10 million chance, but you know what? Some people win the lottery multiple times in their lifetime or in, uh, you know, a few years, but they don't have to wait, in, you know, a million goes to win again. So but all what, a one in 100 means it's just a 1% chance in any given year for that event to occur. But with global warming, how does that change your 1%? Well, we haven't. I haven't done the research that I'm aware of um, in terms of what th- what global climate change or global warming means for thunderstorms. I haven't. I'm not up to speed enough. I'm being brutally honest. I'm not a climate change expert, but you know, if, if, if we're to kind of um, speak in broad strokes, certainly thunderstorms for some areas become more common because thunderstorms thrive off heat. Um, they thrive off. That's why thunderstorms typically occur in, in, during the warm season uh, in the tropics. Oddly enough, it's kind of counterintuitive. I'm going to contradict myself. Thunderstorms are typically more common here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, during the cool season. Oftentimes, that's because we get colder air coming from the Southern Ocean, mm. and we have, we're, we're, we're an ocean environment, and that leads to what we call instability. Heather? Yeah, so, it, you know, it's only in very recent years that we've heard much about tornadoes, and so has, has this, the figure that you quoted, Chris, has that sort of been constant over a long period of time? Have we just been lucky and tornadoes haven't really happened in built-up areas like this one did at the weekend? It's a bit of both. I think tornadoes are, I think, over the past probably 20 or 30 years, like a lot of things, are being documented more. You know, by citizens, citizen science, people you know have a cell phone, and cell phones are, are basically mobile computers. So we have a nice camera. You can take great imagery, great photos, great video. So they're being documented more. So that leads to more reporting. 
Um, you know, whether the, the trend in tornadoes, there, there are hot spots, I should say, too, across the country. Auckland is a relative uh, hot spot for tornadoes. So is um, Taranaki. Right. Taranaki is, mm-hmm. a, is a hot spot for tornadoes. New Plymouth, Stratford, uh, that area, as well as west coast of the South Island. Mm. Nice to have you on the program. Uh, appreciate it. That's me with Chris Randaluna. Kia ora, Chris. Uh, 16 past four. Meanwhile, rain and storms have pummeled other parts of the country. Yesterday's floods, swollen rivers in Tokamaru Bay, north of Gisborne, triggered memories of the destruction caused by Cyclone Bowler in 1988, East Coast MP Kitty Allen says. With us is Gisborne District Mayor uh, Rehet Stoltz. Rehet, kia ora. Your region took a heck of a hammering. I can imagine you assessed the damage this morning. Yes, so a lot has happened here. Our civil defence team was up in Tokumaru Bay today. Yesterday, Waka Kotahi took a look at the roads, but today our civil defence team sat down with the school and the people that had to evacuate to see how we can assist. Lots of volunteers were out and about helping. And locals have been checked on door to door, I understand, Rahit? Yes, so when we had our meetings, our community constables up the coast, they were going um, home to home just to check people that we thought or areas that were self-evacuating, but the areas that we thought uh, just to double check. So they did go out, but but I'm proud to say most people self-evacuated in time. Rahit, what about the roads? I mean, just looking at some of the images, that flash flood, for example, looks like it really turned State Highway 35 into a bit of a large river there. How are the roads uh, now? There's a lot of work that we will need to do to get our roads um, back to what they were. I know Waka Kotahi and our council roading team has been working tirelessly just to make sure everything is semi-safe. But I know up at Potaka, there's still a lot of work that's happening there with the slip. But north and south of Tokumaru Bay, Waka Kotahi could open the road. But there are some local roads, which it will take us days to get get it safe again. Mm. And RNZ will keep you abreast of the uh, of the updates there. For now, Gisborne Dis- District Mayor Rahet Stoltz, thank you. It is 18 past four. You're on the panel, RNZ National. Now, speaking of bad weather, Wellingtonians are being warned to take care as very strong southerly gales gusting at 120 kilometres an hour batter the city. Some Cook Strait ferry services have been cancelled due to the large swells. And the Waihinga River Bridge on State Highway 53 just prior to Martinborough is still closed due to rising river levels in the wider upper there. Now, ACC is biased against women, Māori and Pacifica, a new analysis shows. Women are less likely to make ACC claims, more likely to be declined when they do, and they receive far less compensation than men, reports Anusha Bradley for RNZ. If women did get cover and were entitled to weekly compensation payments, they got a little over half the rate of men. Also, research, quoting the briefing, researchers found that women, indigenous people and people of colour are all more likely to be seen as exaggerating, malingering or drug-seeking when accessing healthcare. That's what the briefing said. So to discuss is Otago University law lecturer Dr Dawn Duncan, who looked at these inequities in a study published last year. Dr Duncan, welcome to the panel. Hi, thank you for having me. What do you make of these figures? Was it a surprise reading them? 
No, it really wasn't a surprise, uh, to be mm. honest. It was heartening to see the ACC scheme um, acknowledge that there are some issues and inequalities in the scheme. So over the past five years, it has become even harder for women, especially Māori and Pacifica women, to get an ACC claim accepted. What are the reasons? Why would it be? Well, there's a range of reasons that Māori and Pacifica women might be getting um, their claims declined at a higher rate. Part of that is within ACC and the way that ACC is managing and handling its claims, its priorities and its funding. Part of that might be in the interaction with the healthcare system in terms of whether these claims are being made on behalf of patients. Part of it may be with the interaction with employers. But I think a lot of it has to do with the underlying problems in the cover available under the scheme. So it may be that the type of work and the type of activities that Māori and Pacifica women are more likely to do tend to result in the types of injuries and illnesses that just don't get cover. Right. Okay, Heather Roy, what do you make of this? Um, Well, like Dawn, I'm not that surprised, really. And I think that ACC does need a complete rethink. It's it's been in its current form for a very long time now, and I think that it is a bit of an outdated system. Um, I think I'd like to see a more principles-based system, and I think that the definition, this has been documented in some of the commentary today, Mm. I think the definition, the scheme's definition of injury um, does favour particular types of injuries and, and maybe those um, those more likely to be suffered by men. So I think there's definitely work to be done there. But one, one of the things that I've always had a bugbear about is we've got a health system and we've got an ACC system. One deals with illness and the other deals with injury. And I think when we're taking the opportunity to completely rejig the way a health system is factored, it's time to actually look at, it. does it really matter whether you've got an illness or an injury? If you've got something that needs to be treated, why aren't we just getting on and doing that? Dawn, what do you think? I uh, completely agree. It's been 50 years, really, since we made decisions about who gets cover and who doesn't. A lot has changed in the last 50 years, both in terms of the work that we're doing and also our medical thinking. I think it's entirely time that we have another look at the scheme, work out what we want the scheme to actually do, what our goals for the schemes are in terms of prevention, uh, promoting health and safety, and who gets cover and who doesn't get cover. Okay, so I noticed that Green MP Jan Logie was uh, quoted as saying that, you know, this ACC developed in the 70s just hadn't kept up with changes since then. Uh, Her view is that it's not fit for purpose. Um, What do you think, Gary? What are your questions or thoughts? Well, my thought is that um, ACC is a very special part of our society. If you think if you were in America and had an accident, what it would cost you? And uh, I think that uh, it's really... I I agree with the comments that have been made so far, but it's really important that we assess it remembering that we can't sue in New Zealand, which is... I've got an old legal mate of mine who disagrees violently with me on this topic, (laughs) but the lawyers just got fat and rich on accidents, and I think this stopped it. And I think that um, I agree that if somebody has an accident and gets helped and somebody that gets sick doesn't uh, that's the sort of issue, that's the sort of way we need to look at it but it's a special part of the the safety net of our society and I really would 
feel strongly about and, and at this stage I'd be very interested to hear our listeners' views on uh, ACC and particularly your personal stories. What dealings have you had with ACC? Have you uh, had good cover? Have you had less than good cover? You can text us 2101 or email the panel at rnz.co.nz. I just want to focus in on that notion of or definition of, of injury, Dr Duncan, for a bit. Um, Jan Logie asks... Why someone thought you could get cover for spraining a muscle on a sports field but not a birth injury? Mm. That's a reasonable question to ask? Yeah, it is a reasonable question to ask. And I think it makes more sense when you think about the fact that the scheme was designed really for working men uh, in the 60s and 70s. It was designed to replace our old workers' compensation scheme. It went further outside of work. But if we look at what has cover and what hasn't, um, there's a really clear pattern that emerges. For example, if you work in an industry like a builder or a farmer, if you break your leg falling off a ladder, if you get your hand caught machinery, you get uh, kicked by an animal, you've got cover. Um, if you are a nurse or a teacher, you get depression or anxiety, um, a lot of chronic trauma, you've got no cover. If you're a retail worker, you get mental health problems from bullying or racist abuse, you've got no cover. In other countries that have a workers' compensation scheme, those workers in female-dominated industries would have cover. So they, they would, would get compensation. Yeah, they would. But not here under our ACC scheme. But not here under the ACC scheme. So when we look at those patterns of work, we're seeing a really big gender difference. And it's not because the ACC scheme was designed to be sexist. It's because the type of work that we perform now mm. and the type of workers who are performing that work is different. Mm. Um, it's uh, it's about the kinds of things that we're doing. We're doing more mentally and emotionally difficult jobs, engaging with technology, engaging with humans in a way that um, we maybe just weren't. In okay. The so Heather, an, an, interest, an area that I'm particularly interested in is, is veteran health because of my links to um, the defence force. And you know, even within the same groups of people, I think there is some discrimination of types there. So if you take veterans, for example, if someone's got a visible injury, um, they'll get cover. But treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder, mm. for example, is still very, very patchy and often difficult to get into the system at all. So I do think it is time for a complete rethink. Okay, fit for purpose all round. Mm. Uh, Dr. Dawn Duncan, Otago University Lecturer, uh, thank you for your time. Kanui Akumihi, nice to have you on. You. 26 past four, a few responses there. We'll uh, read out some of those later on in uh, the programme. Now, why we lose track of spending in a cashless society, asks Tim Harford of the Financial Times, who says he worries that we now live in a financial blur, spending cash without clearly perceiving what happened. The pandemic, with its shift to contactless or online spending, has served to catalyse the process further. And he talks about websites that undoubtedly provide a real service, but are, a delight, but are delighted to make it easier for customers to spend impulsively. Companies, Tim says, have long wanted spending to be fast, to be easy and barely worth a thought. And it just got me thinking, Heather Roy, about <laughs> my own sort of subscriptions that one forgets about and all of a sudden mm. uh, over the maybe over the at the end of the year go, where does that money go? Know. You know, so here you're paying without a clear idea of just how much we are paying. Is it worth thinking about? Yeah, it's a bit like, you know, when you've got cash in your wallet or your purse you know, you and you, part of it, and it's all gone. You suddenly think, well, well, what did I spend that on? But you think about 
a bit more, I think, before you hand the cash over. It's it's that yeah. distance, isn't it? That arm's lengthedness that um, that makes it so much easier just to think, oh, yes, I'll have a bit of that or I'll sign up for that. And you're right, later on you think, did I actually get anything, any value at all from that? I wonder, Gary, if there's a certain psychology. For example, $30 in your hand feels a lot more than $30 by pay wave. If you have $30 in here at a cafe, you go, oh, that's actually a very expensive coffee, $5.50, when you have that cash in your hand. I wonder if there's any, been any psychological tests or studies done about that. I don't know, but uh, one of the things that I, I find interesting is, you know, where you, you're talking about whim, so you think, oh, I'll subscribe to that one. That's really interesting. Try and unsubscribe. That's really difficult. <laughs> that's the first thing. And the second thing is... Um, after the earthquakes in Christchurch, pay wave and all that was completely useless. You actually, because there was no electricity. And so the only way we could buy goods and services was with cash. Mm. And so right, yes. there's always got to be a place for cash. Um, and, and like we, we keep, Pam and I keep talking about, we've got to keep cash on, on uh, with us so that we so that it might happen again, you know? That's so that's a change. That, is, that has been a fundamental shift in the last uh, 10 or 12 years, cash on hand. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's recommended that you do that as well as having your 200 litres of water in case you have an, mm. there's an earthquake and, you know, you, you can't access that. But there's, there is nothing quite like seeing something in front of you. It's a bit like dieting. You know, sometimes dietary advice is if you want to lose weight, use a smaller plate and put all your food on it. <laughs> Don't just keep going to the cupboard and having a biscuit here and a banana there. You know, I, I think that's a, a good analogy, really. Um, tax is a bit like that. Most people couldn't actually tell you how much tax they pay because they never receive a statement with a, a, an annual figure on it. Oh, that's a fair point. Mm. That's a fair I like point. paying tax. I think it's really important. I'm not you saying we shouldn't pay tax. <laughs> I'm saying it's good to know how much you pay, Gary. You're part, <laughs> uh, you part of love the tax movement. Yeah. Now, meanwhile, there's been a really large response to, regarding your stories around ACC, both uh, positive and negative. Uh, you can email me, the panel at rnz.co.nz. Uh, just a couple here. I wholly agree with Heather. ACC should not handle any aspect of health care or, or care should simply be handled in the general system. Whether how ACC should handle compensation, etc., must be reviewed, but again, really why separate ACC patients from others' needs. My experience regarding ACC after a major accident was fantastic. Mm. It is there for a purpose and it is working. Don't let the wokes meddle with it. It is also self-funded by employers and investors. Um, another one here, finally, three separate interactions with ACC. Two were historic injuries. Both declined at first for surgery, recovered after appeal. The latest was for my partner after the birth of our child. Now, she was injured in labour and physio was required. ACC declined and we paid for her treatment out of pocket. You're on the panel, RNZ National, Heather Roy and Gary Moore with me this afternoon. It's time for headlines with Marama Tepole.